0: And welcome to the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack.
1: Hello, theorists.
0: So in today's episode, we're going to be focusing on how Kaldheim has impacted the brawl format on Arena. And we're also going to be talking about how Historic Anthology 4 is shaping the historic brawl format. But before we jump in, I want to briefly talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, You can support the show and get sweet benefits for as little as $1 a month. If you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can help us out by rating or reviewing us on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. All right, with that, let's talk a bit about what the Caldheim Brawl metagame looks like. Uh, I've been seeing a, a few decks a bit more than others. What's your experience been like?
1: So I also have been seeing a few decks more than others. I would say that they're, just from uh, qualitative experience, I have been seeing uh, a certain three commanders a little bit more than others. Although, in general, I'm, I feel like I'm playing a pretty diverse cast of, of commanders in both historic Brawl and regular Brawl, I think. So uh, do you want to kind of see if that matches up with any data that we might have?
0: Yeah, so it definitely feels like a more diverse metagame than what we saw right after Zendikar Rising oh, yeah. released with like Omnath taking up a huge chunk of the metagame. It's a little bit more spread out, but just looking at the Brawl metagame as it's described on MTG Goldfish, we see that Essica, God of the Tree, is taking up 10.5% of the meta. Uh, yeah, big, big chunk there. Turgrid, God of Fright, is coming up in second with 7.7% of the meta. We have Jorn, God of Winter, it's at 7.2% of the meta. And then it kind of uh, flattens out after that. To be fair, like this data set is just um, deck lists that people have hosted on the site. So yes. it may skew a little bit from what's actually being played on Arena. My personal experience, I've definitely seen a lot of Essica. I've definitely seen a lot of Turgrid. And I haven't really seen that much Jorn. I don't know what you're... Yeah, uh,
1: I feel like I see Jorn as like a distant fourth to, say, like a coma um, or right. something like that, where you can kind of guarantee that you're going to stick your commander. Jorn, there's not like a lot of rewards in regular Brawl for just like untapping your mana, you don't really have like a Jinkataxius so yes, or something big with flash. Mm-hmm. um So there's not, and there's not a lot of like super good mana sinks right now. So it really feels like when people are playing Jorn, they're not playing Jorn. I've seen they're playing the Rhyme Staff, um, which has a little bit better return on the build around investment, I guess.
0: I think with the rhyme staff, there's like a lot of benefits. The first and foremost being the fact that it's just more resilient. Whereas Jorn, you know, he die he's three toughness, you gotta wait a whole turn before he's really gonna have an impact. So it's just very easy to, to kill. And if you have to keep recasting Jorn, then the benefit gets kind of
1: it lessens over time for sure. Yeah.
0: Cause Definitely. if you if you like play him for three and he dies and then you play him for five, and then he dies and then play him for seven and then you get your first trigger. I don't know if your de- whole deck is like built around like making use of lots of mana, but you're kind of wasting all of it on on Jorn. Yeah,
1: yeah I've noticed uh, something that is true of Jorn is that they don't really attack with him unless it's safe. And I think that kind of just goes hand in hand with the fact that there's not a lot of ways to protect him in brawl or or even historic brawl that are like forward pushing, like building into your game plan. That's a
0: great point. Yeah,
1: like casting a heroic intervention to save your Jorn when you attacked into a full board just doesn't seem like a good investment.
0: He doesn't have evasion. He can't really like punish your opponents that well for blocking him. And if you're like spending your mana to like cast a Mammoth Growth or whatever or, or just like pump him up so he'll survive, the benefit of him attacking is is greatly lessened because you're using most of it up to protect him. Yes, but let's talk a bit about some of these other commanders that we're seeing a lot more. I want to start by by getting into Essica because this definitely like right after the format rotated, right after Caldheim first became legal. I saw so many essica decks or rather so many prismatic bridge decks. Ten and a half percent of the meta is still sig- a significant amount, but it's less than what I was seeing right when the format rotated into Caldheim Brawl. But man, pretty much none of these decks are using like essica for the front half. It's all just prismatic no. bit bridge. And it's really just like five color haymakers like the best. Yes. Like You got your Ugins, uh, you got your Vorinclexes, you've got Just like the biggest and baddest creatures and planeswalkers available in the format.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something I've noticed with the bridge decks is it's to taste what haymaker in what color do you want to win with with this deck is kind of what I've seen with Essica. They tend to run Ugans, they tend to run massacre worms, but it's really what colors do you like? What threats do you like?
0: I think part of it is, um, and maybe part of the, Uh, reason that that essica is appealing is that because you're in five colors you have so many different options for haymakers to play you don't feel like you have to craft a bunch of cards in order to make the deck work like you can kind of just use what haymakers you have available and the deck is still going to be good it's still going to function
1: yeah i i actually totally agree with that because I think that is one of the reasons that they have been kind of pushing these five color archetypes a lot is that the pressure to really like build an optimized list. And this is actually a point I'm going to bring up in regards to some of the other commanders we're going to talk about um, is lessened. So you still want to play, you still want to build, you might still want to craft some cool mythics or, or rares or something for your brawl deck, but. If you have a Kogla, you can put the Kogla in. If you have a Goldwing Dragon or Goldspan Dragon, you can just put that in. It doesn't really matter what Haymaker. It just is like, what you have, it's probably good enough if it's big. Let's go. Let's play some Brawl.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great point. Let's talk a bit about like the strengths and weaknesses of the deck. Uh, in playing against Essica, what, what appears to be... like the the strengths of the deck the things you're most worried about
1: yeah the the one thing that i always feel when i see an essica is do i have an answer because i think one of the the biggest strengths is if you can't answer the bridge it will just win for you it if you don't have an answer for the bridge if it's just sitting there left unanswered for two three turns it's probably game over for you at that point because they've gotten a mana investment of Anywhere from like 10 to 16, they have these giant permanents that they cast for free on top of whatever is in their hand. It's pretty hard to come back from something that impactful, activating that many times, Mm -hmm. even if the first time is a dud. If the second time isn't a dud, but the first time they still got like a 5-5 or something, it's going to be pretty hard to come back from that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And what I've noticed is... Like, because there's so many haymakers in the deck, because the the card quality is so high, even if you do answer the bridge, you still have to contend with, you know, the Ugans, the Koglas, all the format's most powerful cards. So you really have to be packing a lot of answers if you want to play a long game against an Essica deck.
1: It's really common for them to, like, randomly drop into a Massacre Worm and then just cast like you said a kogla or a coma or something for their Mm -hmm. turn (laughs) so not only did they get a big donk for free that's going to accrue value and make your life miserable they also cast a really big donk that's going to accrue value and make your life miserable so it doesn't necessarily matter if the bridge gets blown up once or twice because they're usually playing enough ramp to get back to it pretty quickly and if not they're playing enough ramp to just cast the seven mana spells that have like been stuck in their hand
0: mm-hmm. yeah so it, but it, it's a real
1: challenge for sure mm-hmm. but that that uh, kind of leads to ways to to beat this deck there's some pretty foolproof ways to take out mm-hmm. <laughs> an essica list a prismatic bridge list before it just overwhelms you in six seven eight drops. yeah
0: uh, definitely so one thing I noticed is even though essica decks tend to run uh, a bit of ramp at least to enough ramp to get them from like three to five um, still they're just kind of doing a lot of nothing in the very early turns of the game they're going to be playing a lot of tap lands because it's a five color mana base so really you know it's kind of turn one and two not really doing anything turn three play a mana accelerant turn four, play the bridge and pass. And then turn yeah. five is when they will really start doing stuff. So if you're playing a really aggressive deck, if you're playing something that can come in and really make the most use of those first four or uh, so turns of the game, then you can kind of get in for a lot of damage, really put them on the back foot. And and then maybe if you're playing like a red uh, a, a red aggro list, then you can just kind of burn them out after that.
1: Have a similar experience playing like white weenie boros uh mono red or red black kind of berserkers low to the ground, just whatever kinda you can do to get in under them, maybe mix in a a little bit of disruption to taste, and it's kind of hard for them to come back from that when they kind of start playing the game at like eight mm-hmm. life so the the other one that I've seen uh that that I've kind of taken advantage of a lot when I've been playing too is. Like we said, they have a lot of Haymakers in their list. So they will tap out to cast a Haymaker each turn, typically. So if they're tapping out to cast one big spell each turn, then cheap counterspells go a long Mm -hmm. way for just completely wrecking that game plan. Casting a Disdainful Stroke, even just like an Essence Scatter, something like that. Like, that's all it really takes to throw back an essica list and really kind of ruin their day mm. and give you enough kind of time and, and mana investment to push over them before they can get set up.
0: Yeah. I've been, I've had a lot of success with my casa list, um, which just runs a lot of cheap wizards. And so you can sort of like make use of the first couple turns, setting up with your wizards. And then you're able to just answer. You don't have to like answer every single, single spell they cast, For the entire game, but you just have to keep them on the back foot long enough for your wizards to to do the trick and and get in there. So I I think that that's definitely a weakness of the deck. Is like when they are tapping out for five, six, eight mana spells, the your ability to cheaply answer that and then also develop your board is gonna make it a lot easier for you to win.
1: I want to bookmark this because this that point, the counterspells point will come up again mm-hmm. later in this episode. But do you want to talk about uh, Turgrid, the next most popular commander? Yeah,
0: uh, I don't know what your experience has been like, but I have found this not especially fun to play against. No, it's miserable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, so, but, I mean, it, there's going to be a lot of discard in these decks, which is really a challenge if you're a slower or more controlling build. They're just going to be able to to pull out all your answers, pull out your card advantage engines, Uh, and if you're running a more creature based decks, like they have so much removal, uh, and it's Mm. they're just going to chew through it. Um,
1: Yeah, I had to stop running. I had a Phylath list that I would run every now and then for like when I'd get the like play forty lands uh, like quest or like the the red green spells
0: uh, quest. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I just can't do that anymore because if i play against a turgrid and they start making me discard my haymakers i it just scoop on mm-hmm. the spot it's just not worth it the discard is just gnarly it's so nasty yeah. the other side of that too is that they also I, i've seen about as many turgrid lists that are like really maximizing turgrid as i've seen lantern lists that are just like trying to beat you down with lantern activations <laughs> and that really can depending on what deck i'm playing in the moment can really uh hamper <laughs> game plan because they're going to chew through my life total and then they're going to eat through my hand or whatever board thingies i don't really need tokens or artifacts and then if i don't have an answer or a way to kill them it's that's it yeah
0: no it's kind of funny um the the turgrid decks honestly i don't think they get a lot of value uh, out of the turgrid half of the card because in Mm -hmm. my experience playing against these you know their their first like four turns of the game is just they're killing my stuff they're making me discard Mm -hmm. etc etc um then they're they're probably going to cast turgrid on on turn five or six yes but i usually have an answer for it by then and it's not like it costs so much mana that they can't like do turgrid and do something else. Uh, to trigger turgrid in the same turn what tends to happen is like i kill turgrid maybe once maybe twice and then they just give up and cast the lantern and try to kill me.
1: (laughs) that's been my experience that has also been my experience and this is uh, again note the counter spells because i think one of the strengths of turgrid is that you don't need to play threats Mm -hmm. you can just pack your deck full of Discard, Sacrifice, so that answers creatures, that answers uh, cards in hand, that answers counterspells they may or may not have. And then you can just win with the Lantern, you can win with their threats that they sacrifice or discard if you do happen to stick a Turgrid. That's like one of the biggest benefits, one of the strengths of the list is that you are just all answers, you're all gas, and you can just don't really have to think about, well, how am I going to win because you just kind of have that built in your commander on either mm-hmm. side. Uh, and the weakness to this is exactly like you said it's just counter spells, it's card draw, it's if you're winning with like non permanent win cons, uh, whether that's uh, burn spells, whether that with like a Toralf or something like that, whether that's like just counters and value and drawing your draw spells back and milling them out. Like they only really have so much they can do along the axis of plays in Modern mm-hmm. Black that when you assault them from different angles like that or uh, maybe all you need is just a few tokens on the board that they can't make you sacrifice through and you just keep beating them down with a token and an equipment or something like that. It's pretty fragile as long as you're playing around Turgrid actually coming down at the right time or the lantern being there.
0: Yeah, and and one thing I've also noticed is because the two main axes of the deck kind of attack different archetypes. You know, discard Mm -hmm. is really good against control and the removal is really good against aggressive strategies. I found that like sometimes the Turgra deck is just going to draw the wrong half of their deck to deal with whatever (laughs) you're doing. and You can kind of get like free-ish wins when that happens.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely played some lists where they're making me discard and discard and discard and then i just play my merfolk that gets back in center sorcery and i i get back my thing that gets back kicker spells or whatever it might be and it just like well okay i didn't really actually you didn't actually hurt me there or or worst case scenario for them like i discard my big thing and then reanimate it on turn five mm-hmm. or six they can just get unlucky against you so yeah i was
0: thinking about that sometimes i run an aura list and like mm-hmm. them you know, activating the lantern is basically like a free sack outlet for me. It's like, oh, yeah. thank you. You're great. Now I can get the, back this other guy.
1: Yeah, I've experienced the exact same thing. They're like, all right, do you want to sack a creature, lose three life? And I'm like, I would love to sack my three drop right now. Thank <laughs> you. I didn't have a sack on board. This is great. Yeah, yeah. That is, that is I think, one of the weaknesses of target is that they sometimes just don't draw the right cards in the opening hand. And I think if... We're good. Do we want to move on to the the other one we're going to kind of focus yes. on? Yes,
0: uh, this is one that really seems like the the commander out of Kaldheim that I'm most scared of, and I'm surprised yes. we aren't seeing like more adoption of this. This is Koma Cosmos Serpent. It is uh, three green, green, blue, blue for a 6-6 six, six Legendary Creature Serpent. At the beginning of each upkeep, create a 3-3 three, three, uh, Serpent named Koma's Coil. And then you can sacrifice a serpent to either make Coma indestructible or to tap target permanent. Oh, and also it can't be countered. Sorry, I forgot.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's important.
0: So this is something that is resistant to counter spells, difficult to burn out, pretty much impervious to board wipes. Um, it makes an army very quickly. And because you're in a green color identity, you, you have access to green ramp and it can come down earlier than it's cost would suggest.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: this is a a very strong card. What, what's your experience been like playing against Coma?
1: Pretty similar to what you're saying. There's usually a, a little bit of ramp. Their game plan usually doesn't have to be super consistent. What I mean by that is like you don't need to like build around Coma other than ramping a little bit, just because Coma is so big. So impactful, so hard to deal with that if you just kind of land a coma, you're pretty likely to win. They have to have a very specific suite of answers. And I feel like not everyone is currently running those Mm -hmm. answers. So you can get some free wins pretty easily if you are playing coma just by turn four or five, landing a really early coma. It can't be countered like the other commanders can. If it's left alone, it just wins really quickly. And because you are ramping so much, the commander text doesn't really matter. So if they do find a way to answer it one time, they better have a second one because it's probably coming down in a turn or two. So it's miserable in a very different way than playing against Turgrid mm-hmm. That said, there are some... I think some pretty fun answers <laughs> to coma and ways that I've been including in pretty much every single list. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's definitely soft to aura based removal. Um, mm-hmm. so a lot of the cards you are probably already running in brawl like Frogify, like Heliod's Punishment, like Kenrith's Transformation, all these things that are really effective at answering commanders um, are good against coma. It's also soft to exile based removal, so like Elspeth Conquers Death Feed the serpent, ironically. I know. <laughs> uh, and, and a couple other effects like that. Eat to extinction, for example, are, are all very good against answering coma because they um the indestructibility doesn't really help in that case. And mm. then I've actually done a little bit of playtesting with coma just to sort of see how it pilots and if there's any like thing that I find myself losing against. And a lot of my losses, I would say, are against uh stealing effects. Yes.
1: Yes, that's the exact. Sa- I did the exact same thing where I'm like, "Well, let's try building some different comas and seeing what happens." And whenever I lose, it was to like in a War. Mm-hmm. Like the Kroen War comes down, steals my coma, and I kind of look and go, "But but <laughs> <laughs> like you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do here." Yeah,
0: wow, this this commander really is unbeatable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, no, I, I found the same thing. The Kroen War is just like the bane of. Coma's existence. There's also that mm-hmm. that card from Zendikar Rising that costs less if an opponent has a certain number of cards in their graveyard. That's also fine against Coma, assuming your opponent can, yeah. can get the mana for it.
1: Yeah, the card's great, actually. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> but yeah, those are those have been the things that typically I am losing to with Coma because again, like they can do like exile based removal, but then I can just eventually recast Coma. And green does have some answers to auras. You know, you just make sure to like pack in your wilt or your return to nature or something like that. But stealing yeah. effects are, are quite painful.
1: Yeah. I think, I think as the metagame has shifted over the time this set has come out, it was people really shifted their removal package and their answers to be able to answer coma more so than mm-hmm. they were kind of at the beginning of things. Yeah.
0: One thing that I've, started running in my coma list to try to answer these stealing effects is um bounce spells oh yeah that that'll definitely like get you out of that bind
1: this kind of segues us into something that's interesting because there are a few new staples and i think people will notice a trend as we go through them and as they've listened to us talk about bounce spells and things like that do you mind if i lift off some of these cards that just we've been playing with A ton of since this format's come around. Sure,
0: yeah. These are all new cards from Caldheim, and uh you may be able to to notice a trend as Zach mentioned.
1: Yeah, so new staples, thanks to Caldheim, that that I know I've been playing with a ton, that we mentioned a few of them here. Uh Disdainful Stroke, the card I couldn't remember the name of a few minutes ago. Saw it coming, both counter spells, both two mana. Uh you have to put in a little bit of investment for the saw it coming at first, but it's uh, pretty worth it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Doomscar, just the best wrath, just so good. Raven form, giving blue an answer to artifacts is crazy good. Mm. It like feels like cheating sometimes. Mm. <laughs> I I don't know if you've experienced that. Yeah,
0: but. and also just like the one one doesn't really matter. Um, no. So it's also just like a really solid answer to opposing creatures, which Luke can sometimes <laughs> yes. have trouble with after they resolve.
1: Yeah, exactly. And then the last one is Tybalt's Trickery, which has just been... There's been maybe one game out of 20 where they've flipped into something worse mm-hmm. than what I yeah. <laughs> because you Because as long as you're thinking ahead, you're being smart, you're going... Well, what is their game plan what are they trying to do you can tibble's trickery and then maybe they hit like a Bathe dragons fire or something and you're like okay well, <laughs> sure like burn my guy at least i don't lose to your haymaker yeah
0: there's definitely been a lot of games where it's like well i feel pretty good but i could always lose to the ugin uh and yeah. that's like where tibble's trickery feels so good just like even if you don't end up casting it, just knowing that you can get out of a hole um, feels excellent. So I've been really happy to add that to my red decks.
1: And I think one thing before we move on to this next, we have some more staples for like historic brawl is something people have noticed. And this is something I wanted to mention. pre caldheim coming out, if you listened to our last brawl update episode, we were pretty down on blue. Blue was not, Really, as playable as some of the other colors, you you could you could play a Thassa list and do okay, but you had to have the answer for like a Scoot Swarm. You had to have certain answers for other things. There's no way to deal with a big board where now, even though blue still hasn't gotten a way to deal with a big board per se, just the control that blue has gotten, like these counter spells and the the way the metagame has shifted to being about haymakers as opposed to like being about tokens. Mm-hmm or being about lands or something like that. Blue is in a really good spot right now as far as Brawl is concerned. Like, I love playing blue in Brawl right now and historically. Yeah,
0: absolutely. I think that before Caldheim came out, it was just more of your counter spells cost three mana and it just does not feel good to hold three mana open. But now with Disdainful Stroke, Mm -hmm. with Saw It Coming, you can hold as little as two mana open and feel reasonably protected. And so Mm -hmm. it's just... Much easier for you to utilize your mana efficiently. There's also better card draw options because now you have a lot of really good instant speed card draw spells with like Behold the Multiverse and Graven Lore. So even if you mm. are like holding more mana up for your counter spells, you can also just like, uh, well, they didn't cast anything good, so I'm gonna scry five and draw three cards. Uh, you yeah. can you can just better make use of your mana on your opponent's turns.
1: Yeah, I've definitely noticed that. There's been multiple games where I've been playing Blue, Blue X, whatever it is. And I've been like, oh, well, I'm going to pass with all my mana up and I have mana to counter their spell. If they don't counter their spell, I can burn their guy. If I don't have to burn their guy, I can grave and lore and draw a bunch of cards. And that is so good. <laughs> That's so powerful. Just the ability to always be able to respond. That was just something Blue did not have before. It's like, oh, well... I could counter their spell, I could bounce their thing with an into the royal, I could get back the spell from my graveyard, I could uh, tap this thing. That it's, it's just so much more diverse. You have so many more options right now in blue than you did before. So definitely very into that, very happy with where blue is at right now. And I, I think you're in a good spot, even though the big three, like, Technically, two of them are blue. It's really only coma that I've come across that's kind of packing their own counter magic, Mm -hmm. typically. You know, I think blue puts you in a good spot against the big three uh, with stealing, with exile, with bouncing, with all of those things where it just wasn't there before.
0: Yeah. And I just want to say one last thing before we sort of segue into the other format we're going to be talking about today, which Mm -hmm. is like sort of a, Mm, a general rule a general like set of characteristics that i think uh is what make these big three the 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 real titans of this new brawl format because like most of them like dodge traditional creature removal i think that's really is what is making them so strong and i think it might be like sort of an unintended consequence of the the way they designed the gods this time around
1: yeah, like <laughs> yeah, I feel definitely.
0: <laughs> yeah, so just like Brawl decks typically run a lot of creature and Planeswalker removal because, of course, that's what you're going to be. You know your opponents are going to have at least one of those things. But the fact that your Essica opponent is always going to be playing an enchantment, uh, and that's like what their deck is built around, and not every color can answer enchantments that effectively. Or like Turgrid's Lantern being lantern being like the main wind condition for these turgrid decks and not every color can answer artifacts effectively or coma just like you know having such high toughness that burn doesn't really do anything and like counter spells aren't effective and you really need to have really narrow answers to coma
1: yeah very specific yeah. uh
0: i think those are really what is making these guys sort of rise to the top of the format just how difficult they are to answer. And I hope that in the future we see, well, the top spots in the format be taken up by cards that are more conducive to interaction. Cause I think that leads to more fun Mm -hmm. magic than like, well, I'm playing mono red, so I can't answer this (laughs) enchantment.
1: Yeah. And I think this also is to say, like we started with saying that the format is more diverse than ever too. Which is also true. Like, I think the big three being what they are is exactly for the reasons you said. But something about this big three makes people feel like they can experiment more or like play different things more. And it maybe is because people have to pack these like obtuse answers, like these answers that you wouldn't normally just like snap into a typical kind of 60 card Mm -hmm. list or standard list, you know? I've seen a bunch of like Mono Green, Mono Red, Mono Black, Mono White. I've been running like a Mono White Linden list with just a bunch of life gain triggers. And that's been winning a ton, which it did not (laughs) (laughs) before call time. So it's just interesting to see that this big three is the big three and what that's kind of done to the format. Because even though... They are the highest percentage share of decks that I know. I see personally. Still, it'll be like every third game is one of these big three for me. It'll be like I play against a Torolf, and then I play against uh, a Toski, and then I play against an Essica, and then I play against a Thassa, and then I play against uh, one of the mutate like beasts, and then I play against a Turgrid, and then you know, like it. It feels like I'm seeing a pretty good rotation of decks, even though this big three is more or less omnipresent. Mm -hmm. Do you want to just segue into this next little bit we're going to talk about? Yeah, I
0: am ready to move on. Just a couple days ago, Historic Anthology 4 was released, so it injected a bunch of new cards into Historic, and honestly, like looking at this array of cards, it feels less like they're trying to shake up the competitive Historic tournament metagame, and maybe more that they're trying to give tools to historic brawl or like more casual historic lists. Oh, yeah. Uh, So I'm going to read these off really quickly. They printed uh, Triumphant Reckoning, which is six white, 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 sorcery, return all artifact enchantments and and planeswalker cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, Uh, declaration in stone, one in white for a sorcery, exile target creature and all other creatures its controller controls with the same name as that creature, that player investigates for each non token creature exile this way. Thraven Inspector, one mana for a one two human soldier. When it enters the battlefield, investigate. Think twice, two mana instant, draw a card, flashback for three. Spider spawning, four and a green for a sorcery, create a one two green spider creature token with reach for each creature card in your graveyard, and flashback for a six and a black. Adorn Pouncer, one in a white for a one one. Cat, Double Strike, Eternalize for three white white. There's some snow cards being added to the format with. Yeah, fun yeah. ones, honestly. Uh we got iceberg cannoks, uh one in a blue for a zero four snow creature crab. Whenever another snow permanent <laughs> enters the battlefield under your control, you may have target player mill two cards. So funny. Yeah. Uh there's merit lage's slumber, one in a blue for a legendary snow enchantment. Whenever it or another snow permanent enters the battlefield under your control, scry one. And at the beginning of your upkeep, if you control ten or more snow permanents, you can sacrifice it to create merit lage. A 2020 Black Avatar Creature Token with Flying and Indestructible. Some interesting Equipment Matters cards. We've got Goblin Gavalier, single red for a 1-1 Goblin Warrior with Trample. That gets plus 2 plus 0 for each equipment attached to it. Bone Splitter, one mana equipment. Equipped Creature gets plus 2 plus 0 and equipped for 1. Sword of Body and Mind.
1: I think this was a pretty interesting inclusion, honestly. The Sword of Body and Mind. Oh, yeah, those are a strange sword to pick.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely, like, the weakest of that cycle of... Or of the <laughs> enemy-colored cycle of swords. So I think they were probably playing it pretty safe there. There was also several cards, like, left out of Amoncat Remastered. It's just... It's a little strange that they're trying to re-inject these into the format or, like, make you pay a bunch of golden gems for them when they yeah. had an opportunity to... Like, the perfect opportunity to print them six
1: months yeah. ago. There's a there's a few cards in this uh, release that I feel that way about, but um, th- 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 we'll we'll keep going and talk about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, we've got some elf cards with Lisa Lana Huntmaster, two green green for a three three elf warrior. Whenever you cast an elf spell, you may create a one one green elf warrior creature token. Abomination of Lanawar, newly printed from Commander of Legends, one green black for a star star elf horror. It has vigilance and menace, and its power and toughness are each equal to the number of elves you control plus the number of elf cards in your graveyard. There's inspiring statuary, omitted for some reason from uh, Kaladesh Remastered. It's a three mana artifact, non-artifact spells you control non-artifact spells you cast have improvise, cold steel heart, two mana snow artifact, it enters the battlefield tapped. As it enters the battlefield, choose a color and you can tap for one mana of the chosen color blink moth nexus which is a land that taps for c you can pay one to have it become a one one blink moth artifact creature with flying until end of turn it's still a land you can pay one and tap it to give target blink moth creature plus one plus one until end of turn
1: yeah we almost there yeah
0: almost (laughs) there we've got hamza guardian of a ration four green white for a five five elephant warrior it costs one less to cast for each creature you control with a one plus one counter on it and creature spells you cast cost one less to cast for each creature you control with a one one counter on it. There's Amit Eternal, two and a black for a five five zombie crocodile demon with afflict three. Whenever an opponent casts a spell, put a minus one minus one counter on Ammit Eternal, and when it deals combat damage to a player, remove all minus one minus one counters from it. We've got Saw Tusk Demolisher from the Commander 2020 decks, which is four green green for a six six beast with trample and mutate for three and a green. And whenever this creature mutates, destroy target non-creature permanent. Its controller creates a 3-3 green beast creature token.
1: Uh, I'm happy that was here.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's a nice addition. There's also Harmless Offering, 2 and a red for a sorcery. Target opponent gains control of target permanent you control. Uh, Collected Conjuring, 2 blue-red for a sorcery. Exile the top 6 cards of your library. You may cast up to 2 sorcery cards or sorry, two sorcery spells with mana value three or less from among them without paying their mana costs. Put the exiled cards not cast this way on the bottom of your library in a random order. And then finally, there is Death's Shadow. One mana for a thirteen thirteen avatar, and it gets minus X, minus X, where X is your life total. Yeah. So what do you notice about these cards? What do you think is going to have the biggest impact on the historic brawl format?
1: Yeah, I think... For the most part, it's like you said, the the cards that they have put in here are mostly things for historic brawl as opposed to historic competitive. Mm-hmm. Honestly, the the biggest thing that stood out to me was Merit Lages Slumber, just because we got the caldheim release so recently, I think people uh those those Jorn lists in Brawl are not as juiced as they might want to be but Merit Lages Slumber and Historic gives it a little bit more oomph to kind of get back in there. And if you can end up popping it, and if they can answer the Merit Lage, at least you can get it back with the Rhyme stuff. Yeah. So that, that was something I was thinking about.
0: I found that um, just in playing a little bit of Jorn in Historic Brawl, um, the snow cards like generally haven't mattered to up to this point. It's yeah. mostly just been a way to double your mana. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But adding like more snow rewards is going to help that deck become more of what it wants to be rather than just, I'm playing Sultai good stuff yeah. and my commander makes my lands tap for twice as much.
1: Yeah, I'm actually fully expecting Historic Anthology, the next one, to have another one or two snow cards in them mm-hmm. just because I think this is an archetype that they want to keep around not specifically for competitive but uh i think they know it has fans and uh historic brawl we'll kind of sum this up at the end but has been uh building a fan base okay. <laughs> as more and more people play it and realize oh i can still play with this card mm-hmm. i can still play with my cards other ones kind of uh, still in the snow wagon but just good in generals. cold steel heart two mana rocks Man. Pretty good. Yeah,
0: there's definitely in a lot of lists where I've been running Guardian Idol, which is a mm-hmm. mana rock that comes into play tapped, taps for a single call list and you can pay two to animate it and have it become a two-two construct. There's definitely decks that are okay with their two mana rocks coming into play tapped.
1: Yeah, and then the last one is Declaration in Stone is just it's a very powerful white removal spell, mm-hmm. giving him a clue. Doesn't really matter. It's not like you're going to be hitting like, oh, honestly. I, I would hit a Scoot Swarm uh, <laughs> and Swarm if I had to. For it's sure. uh, better than dying, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely a powerful spell. I think those are the really big standouts for me. Everything else is kind of a role player. I'm not, like, super pumped. I mean, I'm I'm going to play through Inspector, but it's not like I was hankering for a good one drop, you know? Like
0: Yeah, like, I'll put not... an adorned pouncer in my Ren and Sari list. Yeah. Sure.
1: <laughs> Yeah, it's it's all kind of like interesting inclusions. Like Bone Splitter is great for uh, Akiri or Halvar or whatever deck might might want it, but it's not something I was like, you know, it would make Historic Brawl incredible. <laughs> <laughs> A Bone Splitter. That's just not. Hell yeah. Not where I was uh-huh. at. <laughs> but again, kind of you were mentioning some of the cards that they seem to like omit from Ammonkhet remastered. It, I feel like they did that with Inspiring Statuary. Like, we got Kaladesh Remastered. Just a couple months ago, really. Yeah, not that long ago. And Inspiring Statuary wasn't in it. People asked why wasn't it in it. And they're like, oh, we couldn't put every card in it. And that makes sense. It's a remastered set. But now it's (laughs)
0: Yeah, but if you want it in this card pool, like, did your minds really change that much? And Well, part of it may have been, like, the rushed timeline for developing Kaladesh Remastered. Because that was something where it's like, wow, Amoncat remastered sold way better than we were expecting, just yeah. a lot more drafts firing than we we thought was gonna happen. So we're gonna shift resources to get Kaladesh remastered out as soon as possible. And that that's a little bit more forgivable mm. that they might have left out a single card. Okay.
1: But it just is strange that it feels like there's like five or six cards in this one in this release that like the the adorned pouncer the discard yeah, enablers
0: i don't have as strange as good an excuse for the the cat ones because like they had yeah. they weren't really under like a rush deadline to produce that it's felt like they had more time to push that out
1: that said we've talked about these this kind of new cards injected in the format kaldheim has obviously injected new cards in the format do you want to talk about some lists that you've been like super pumped about
0: yeah so i'll start off by talking about hamza i think that this is a great commander for the plus and plus one counters cards that we've been seeing a lot of recently. It's just a really good way to focus your like conclave, what you call it, uh, yeah. <laughs> your oren reef oozes, and also like a lot of the stuff that was printed in jumpstart, like oh, yeah. um, inspiring call, like armorcraft judge. There's just been a lot of really good rewards for plus and plus one counters printed over the last nine months ish. So it's great to be able to see that happening, see a commander that really puts all of those under one umbrella. So I've got a list for Hamza, and although it, it plays a bit differently from the commander version of Hamza, like you don't have access to nearly as many artifact creatures or creatures whose yeah. mana costs are entirely colorless mana that can be reduced down to zero. So it, it leans more into just the the plus and on plus one counter rewards cards but it still seems like a really fun list and it can do a little bit of comboing just in the sense that, you know, once you're reducing the cost of like all your creatures down to one or two, then your beast whisperers, your primordial sages, your great Henges, all of those kinds of cards are going to just allow you to like dump your your whole hand out of the board and immediately refill it with cards. And that's going to make it easy for you to win, I would say.
1: Um, Yeah I would say that the uh, tidal wave of card advantage that you can accrue (laughs) Mm -hmm. in that scenario is pretty strong. (laughs)
0: Yeah so I think that's a really fun list and I'm definitely going to be taking it out the next historic brawl event we see. We also have like a really good black green elf commander. I'm not referring here to Abomination of Llanowar but rather to Tyvar Kel. Tyvar is just like exactly what the elf deck needs i've managed to get a little bit of testing in with him already and it just synergizes so well with what the deck is trying to do being able to tap even your your value elves like reclamation sage for mana that's really valuable it can make it so that just casting him is like mana neutral or even mana positive when you're able to like recoup it by tapping all your guys Um, there's also a lot of like high value elves that can tap for a lot of mana at once, like Elvish Archdruid, like Marwyn the Nurturer. And being able to untap those with your Tyvarkel is also another way to sort of like greatly reduce his effective cost. Pumping out elves that then t- tap for mana is really good. And then I have managed to pop the emblem on him and it is exactly what you need to cast your entire library and
1: win the game. Yeah, he just seems like so perfect so wonderful and in a lot of ways it, we mentioned this when we reviewed him he's just like w- what an elf planeswalker should be mm-hmm. <laughs> just makes mana pumps your guys up makes guys if you don't have them and if you do happen to pop them you you win <laughs> yep <laughs> that's it there's it's pretty hard to lose after that so definitely really rad and the tools that you have in historic brawl for an elf list are just like uh, just so good Mm -hmm. so really cool it's a really cool list
0: i think with that we can move on to the next one um
1: which is which is my favorite one on this list
0: (laughs) uh yeah do you want to do you want to read it off then
1: sure yeah so this is burgeon uh harnfell this is a mono red uh combo would you say yeah combo. combo yeah and so you're more focusing on the harnfell half of the flip card because if you can land it, if you can get to that five mana and just start pitching cards, you just, you that's it. Yeah. <laughs> you You pretty much win. There's just so many ways to accrue value when cards in hand are not an issue anymore. And oftentimes it's pretty easy to just Dig through your list, find an Aetherflux Reservoir, and just shoot them with the Death Star right out of the gates, like in the same turn. Really powerful. It's been really fun, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to highlight in the list in particular.
0: Just that, like, there's as you mentioned, there's a lot of different ways to get value while you're you're casting most of your library. Uh Historic now has access to Young Pyromancer, Thermo Alchemist runaway Steamkin, rock slide sorcerer gutter snipe firebrand archer electrostatic field there are just so many things that like you stick this and then you cast a million spells with your horn and your opponent just like does not really have much of a life total left by the by the time you you finish yeah. <laughs> your
1: turn yeah and if you have like multiple if you cast like a turn two firebrand archer a turn three like gutter snipe and then like you land your Harnfell and then start going off like they're probably just dead. (laughs) It's pretty often that they're just dead. There's a lot of ways to like cheat on mana, get up ahead on mana, whether that's a Mox Amber or a Chandra Torture Defiance giving you plus two red or whatever it might be. There's just a lot of ways that Runaway Steam can, like you said, is just so good in this list you just i feel like if i have a runaway steamkin and it hasn't been answered when i play my hornfell i can't really lose like they they better have an answer for the hornfell if they didn't have an answer for <laughs> the steamkin cuz they i i'm not going to run out of steam anymore
0: yeah i have solved for cards and for mana uh mm-hmm. good luck opponent
1: yeah, yeah, it's it's over. So definitely a really cool list. I think you can tell I'm a Phantom on a red. So mm-hmm. I, <laughs> I'm pretty into this one in particular.
0: With that, I think we can transition over to the next list we're going to talk about. And that is Orvar the all form. So in a lot of ways, Orvar kind of looks similar to like a Thassa kind of list, a Thassa deep going list, in that you're just running a lot of ETB creatures. But The way that this list makes use of them is slightly different. For example, blink spells are especially effective in this list. It's really strong to go like Orvar and then next turn cast something like a Riverwise Augur or a Solemn Simulacrum, some creature that just nets you some kind of mana. And then if you target it with like an Essence Flux, which is basically just a one mana blink spell, but you get a copy of the Solemn and then you get to blink the Solemn and suddenly you're just way far ahead of your opponents. There's just a lot of spells in this deck like that, which will give you a copy in addition to giving you the ETB effect one more time. And once you're doing that kind of thing on like Cavalier of Gales or Agent of Treachery or Meteor Golem, then it kind of becomes difficult to lose at that point. Yeah,
1: it's pretty much impossible to lose if you've like Agent of Treachery enough times to just steal their two best permanents. Once you got three of their best permanents, and you're drawing from the draw trigger off of Agent of Treachery, and like you just have a bunch of your your board is huge. Like I don't there's just not really a way to come back from that.
0: And also like a lot of this deck functions at instant speed so you can really surprise your opponents. I've had games where I've like attacked with Cavalier of Gales and then my opponent Alpha strikes into me and then I uh like essence flux my cavalier So basically, that one blinks in untapped, I get an untapped copy, and I just brick wall my opponents. Yeah. So yeah, really strong, fun deck. I definitely recommend checking that out when when Historic is available.
1: If you don't mind moving on, I'm really a fan of this next one, too. This is Vega the Watcher. I have a Vega Brawl list, and you pretty much have to run all the foretell, more or less all the foretell cards to get value off of Vega. but That's not specifically true in historic brawl. You can run a lot of things that cast spells out of your graveyard and get a lot of value. That way you can cast the adventure cards that cast things from exile, which I guess you can do in brawl too. But there's just all together, all combined. It adds up into a huge card advantage engine and just the win conditions that you get in historic brawl are just a lot better <laughs> than you get in uh, just regular brawl um casting a dusk which is a aftermath wrath so the front half is two and two white destroy all creatures of power three or greater doesn't hit vega mm. and then being able to cast dawn later on draw a card and put every creature with power two or less from your graveyard into your hand massive swing in cards a massive swing in tempo and a lot of your creatures do fit that category of having two power so if they do happen to kill your cure great glass spinner if they do happen to kill your giant killer uh, whatever it might be you can get them back and you can have a pretty good time accruing value with your little owl friend there
0: yeah and i also love cards like precognition field uh, three mm-hmm. and a blue for an enchantment. You may look at the top card of your library. You may cast the top card of your library if it's an instant or sorcery card, and you can pay three to exile the top card of your library. So again, that's another zone. Basically, casting you know a negate off the top of your library, that's a free card, and then you draw another card off Vega. Uh, it just feels so powerful. Like yeah. you, you cannot go below seven cards in hand when this deck is really rolling.
1: Yeah, I've had to discard to hand size a lot playing... Vega in Historic. Mm-hmm. Speaking of discard, Narfi is the next one. Oh, yeah. uh, Narfi, the Betrayer King. So Narfi is the 4-3 legendary snow creature. Is he a zombie noble? He's a zombie, He's a zombie wizard. Zombie uh, 4-3 blue-black. Other snow and zombie creatures you control get plus one plus one, and you can pay three snow to return him from your graveyard to the battlefield tapped. So what that means is that you only really spend the cost the five once and then you never really have to spend commander tax i also apologize we haven't been reading off all of the commanders uh as we've been saying them so sorry to people listening we
0: recommend consuming this episode in video format
1: Yes, so we we will have a video to go along with this episode but we will try to read them off as we go but this list is, well, it's zombies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's a really good zombie list. There's a ton of zombies that cost 1 and 2 mana. Uh, so you can get going really early. You get your Dreadhorde Invasion. You get your Death Baron, which isn't historic. You get your Crypt Breaker. You get your Lazatep Reaver, which gives you 2 zombies. Mm-hmm. We You get your Timurit Calls the Dead, which mills you and makes zombies. Uh, you can really flood the board with zombies. But then... At the same time, you're in blue and black, so you also have access to Negate, Swan Song, uh, Heartless Act, Thought Seize. You can back up your army with a lot of these support spells. Is there anything you'd like to highlight from this list? This list is pretty cool.
0: <laughs> uh, just that there's like a lot of kind of staple effects that synergize with zombies in some way or another. Like Murderous Rider, for example, you know, like Swift End is just a a useful utility spell that kills a creature or planeswalker, but the creature that that goes on the adventure is a zombie knight. There's also Never to Return from Amaket Remastered, Never uh, is basically a sorcery speed Swift End and Return, the, the aftermath half of the card, exiles a card from a graveyard and creates a black zombie. So you're just able to like fit extra zombies into your deck while Maintaining a good amount of interaction in this list.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, something that I really like about it. So definitely, if you like tribal zombies and you've kind of been itching to play something like that, I would I would recommend Narfi. He's really fun. Mm -hmm.
0: Definitely. That's all we have to talk about today. There's going to be another historic fest, or rather, historic brawl festival at the end of this month. So I hope to see you guys in the queues. But with that, I'm going to give a brief thank you to our Patreon patrons. They are Gustav, Ryan, Mark, Amond, Addison, Mason, Rick, Laser, Raphael, Charlotte, The White Clays, Hannah, Anthony, Andy, Dylan, James, Justin, Roger, Logan, Evan, Bryce, Dylan, Benjamin, Jamie, Matthew, Jason, Kyle, Brandon, Keidel, Jeremy, Russell, Troy, Dylan, Walter, Leo, Ian, John, John, Tom, Kevin, and Micah. Thank you all for supporting the show. And if you are not currently a Patreon patron, but would like to become one, please check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. If any of you theorists want to get in touch with us, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. And Zach is at fatbartleby on Twitter. Our theme song is Lincoln Continental by entropy. And you can check them out on SoundCloud until next time. We're going back to the drawing board.